Welcome to the Iowa Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics podcast. The Iowa Academy is an affiliate of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. We are a nonprofit organization with over 900 members, including registered dietitians, dietetic technicians, and dietetic students. We promote and enhance our profession through activities, conferences, and more to help improve the lives of Iowa citizens through evidence-based practices. This podcast will highlight upcoming events and how being a part of the Iowa Academy can help you grow as a professional through continuing education, networking, and serving in a leadership role. We offer scholarships, awards, and grants to recognize great leaders for the profession and provide them with funds to assist them in meeting their career goals. Head over to eatrightiowa.org for more information. And now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to our monthly educational piece of the podcast. Our profession has so many specialty areas, it is impossible to be the expert in all areas. So each month, listen here on our podcast, and we will have a different specialty area to have a conversation with the professional, mostly dietitians, but we will venture out and talk to other healthcare professionals too. So that way, you will know the best resources and also know where to refer other individuals, your patients, your clients. So sit back, relax, and get all the information. Hello, I'm Allison St. Germain, your outgoing president for the Iowa Academy. And today we're talking with Lisa Nolting, who is a registered dietitian. She is a weight-inclusive RD and has her own private practice where she works with individuals who have disordered eating and assists them in developing a healthier relationship with food and their body. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you've been a dietitian for a few years. Can you tell us how you became interested in dietetics? Yes. So I grew up on a farm here in Iowa, Northwest Iowa. And so I saw firsthand um, a lot of things with food. Um, My mom always had like two very large gardens and cooked a lot growing up. And my grandma um, cooked a lot as well. So I kind of developed my interest in food and where our food comes from um, in that way, from how I grew up. And then when I was in high school, I was really into running, long distance running, track and cross country. And the more competitive I got, the more I started to kind of do my own learning on food and nutrition and realized that food and nutrition combined was this. Um, degree called dietetics and was fortunate that Iowa State had dietetics because I come from a cyclone family. So um, (laughs) it just, it all worked out. So I've known since I was about 16 that I wanted to be a registered dietitian and um, yeah, I can't imagine doing anything else. That's amazing. You knew at age 16 what you wanted to do because I didn't even know at age 16 what a dietitian was actually. (laughs) In fact, I, you know, I came from a small town and I don't know if we didn't have dietitians in our area or what, but I honestly didn't know until I was in my 20s that um, a dietitian was a career. So, yeah, so I found out a little different way than you did. But so tell us a little bit about your path to dietetics then. What have you done? um, Because now you have your own private practice, but what have you done previously? So when I was which I do want to say that 
I feel like it's very unusual for someone to know as as young as I was that what they wanted what they want to do um, literally for the next you know 30 to 40 50 years of their career so um, I feel like it's really unusual I you know um, I feel kind of lucky that I've known but then also I think no matter how you get to where you're going it's totally fine yes. um, but so I thought that I wanted to be all during school. I thought I wanted to be a clinical dietitian. I I enjoyed working on um, a couple of different research projects with professors on campus that were clinically clinical nutrition focused. And then when I did my dietetic internship at the University of Iowa Hospital, it was an amazing experience. Um, like outstanding hospital, tons of really fascinating rotations with lots of different dietitians. Um, but what was surprising for me is that I found that it didn't ex excite me as much as I thought it would, the clinical component. Um, I didn't get a lot of time, you know, when you're in, you know, an inpatient setting, you just, it's, you don't have as much time, obviously, one-on-one -on -one with clients or with patients in the hospital, as they're called. And so I that kind of just, I don't know, felt kind of frustrating to me. And I actually enjoyed the food service management rotations, which like usually dietitians are like, I don't want to do management, but I actually enjoyed that. And the University of Iowa Hospital then, and even still now has a lot of dietitians running, um, you know, their retail side of, you know, food service as well as like patient service. And so I, was interested in that. And then when I was in my internship was when we went into a pretty big recession, 2008, 2009. And so there weren't a lot of jobs available. So I applied for a lot of different jobs and ended up getting, taking this position as a K through 12 school food service director and had no idea what I was doing. Literally no idea. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm very grateful to my boss, who was the superintendent of schools at the time. He has since retired, but he took a chance on me. And I am still grateful for that because I learned so much in that job, had a lot of fun. School food service, it gets a bad reputation, a bad rap in the media, but it truly, it's a hard, it's a really hard job. Um, mm -hmm. The people who work in school food service and dietitians are desperately needed in those roles. And so I learned a lot about management and leadership, um, as well as kind of the financial side of things. And in that job, I did that for four years. And then um, at the time, I started working on my master's degree through the distance program at Iowa State's master's in family and consumer. I wanted to work full time as I was getting my master's degree because I wanted to be able to I, well, one, I really enjoyed my job, but two, financially, I, I didn't want to take time away from my job. So um, also while working on that master's degree, a job opened up at Iowa State with dining services. And my husband and I had wanted to get back to central Iowa because of, of we're closer to family being located in central Iowa. And so I took that job and that was with ISU Dining for four years and worked um, doing special diets, um, started to learn about eating disorders, which I'll go into later, and management of kind of special diet stuff and started to dabble in some student wellness related things. Um, and then after about four, four and a half years, a new position with the Department of Student Wellness at Iowa State opened up 
it's a new it was at the time a new department and found that opportunity to be very exciting working with health promotion and prevention very holistic um, type of you know working with students not just focusing on the nutrition or food aspect but their mental physical emotional social well-being mm -hmm. and um, had a lot of fun in that job with developing programs working with students that's where I really honed my skills on working with eating disorders and disordered eating because so many college students struggle with those things and um, was had the opportunity to um, lead the eating disorder treatment team on campus which was really great experience again taught me a lot I learned a lot worked with a lot of um, amazing team members and also met some really incredible students along the way who um, went on to recover from their eating disorder or heal their body image, which was really fun. And also in that job did some food security, um, food accessibility work as well. And it was while I was working with student wellness um, at Iowa State that I would get these phone calls and inquiries to my campus phone and my campus email where people in the Ames and Des Moines community were trying to reach me at Iowa State trying to get assistance, nutrition, diet dietitian um, assistance in their eating disorder or their child's eating disorder. And I was like, I, I work at Iowa State, like I can't help you through my role at Iowa State. <laughs> and so, I, but I continued to get these, these inquiries and then I had some local providers asking if I was doing any private practice. And so the idea was born out of a need that I saw and that people needed help with with this specifically um, more assistance in central Iowa, truly throughout the state, there's a need for it, but I'm located in Ames. And so um, started a private practice on the evenings and weekends while my kids were sleeping <laughs> and um, started doing some family nutrition and then really focused solely on eating disorders, disordered eating, body image, helping people learn how to eat intuitively. And it grew to the point, um, especially during the pandemic, because everything I did was virtual. People got more used to meeting with providers virtually. And so it was really during COVID that my practice grew to the point where um, I needed to Lead, I needed to either step back from the business or leave Iowa State and pursue my business full time. And so last July, July of 2021, I left um, my position at Iowa State, which was very bittersweet because, as you know, Allison, being in the role now, it's a fun, very fun department, great coworkers. It's a fun yeah. job. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't excited that you opened your private practice for two reasons. Number yes. one, <laughs> there is a huge need, of course. And then number two, I was able to do the role that you previously did. And I absolutely love it as much as you did, I feel like. So yes. yeah, we have, we, we share a lot of the same passions. That's yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. So. And so can you tell me more about um, weight inclusive care and why um, weight centric programs are harmful for individuals, even harmful for individuals in a high weight? Because sometimes you hear people think that, oh, of course, we wouldn't do any type of weight centric programming for someone in a low weight. But for people in a high weight, sometimes um, providers or even dietitians think that that's OK. Can you um, talk a little yeah. bit? about that? Yeah. So. 
regardless of what someone's weight, shape, or size is, um, most providers, specifically medical providers, um, they're not intending to do harm. It's just they often haven't received the training. They also don't have enough time during, you know, a quick 10-minute office visit to really get into the details of what's going on with someone. But someone, regard, no matter what someone's weight is, for example, they can be struggling from an eating disorder, including restrictive eating disorders like anorexia, just because, a, or you know, the diagnosis of, quote, atypical anorexia, which there's some things going on right now about the, the weight component of that. And sure. it's essentially, you know, a form of, of discrimination in some cases when someone, you know, is told that whatever they have going on is a, dir a direct result of, you know, their weight and they need to lose weight in order to fix or prevent XYZ from happening. And in addition to that definitely not being the case most of the time, it is harmful to someone's mental and emotional health to be told you need to change something when often people don't have direct control. I wouldn't even say often, most of the time, there are so many other factors affecting someone's weight that are not food and exercise related, such as someone's a job if some you know someone has a job that's sedentary and they have to be in that job for eight or nine hours a day in order to make money to pay the bills they can't help they, they can't get up and go run around during the day and get extra movement in or if someone is financially strained and as we all know the cost of food has gone up um immensely over the past, I'd say three to six months. I don't know if others have noticed this as well, but it seems yeah. like groceries have gotten significantly more expensive. And, you know, we do know that things like fresh produce tend to be more pricey than, you know, shelf stable items that maybe aren't, you know, always when we think of quote health or what sometimes medical providers are recommending for people to, to eat, it's not always doable for every single person. And so um, it's not fair to assume that just because someone is a certain weight or size that changing their weight is going to, quote, fix anything. And in fact, the discrimination that some folks um, receive, you know, at the doctor's office because of their weight, that can increase you know, their, their level of stress, which can increase, you know, cortisol, which can increase insulin, which can increase insulin resistance, which in turn can actually result in, you know, people's bodies wanting to hang on even more to weight. Um, and so in my opinion, and of course I am biased in this way because of the work that I do and I see the, the harm that happens, I, I don't feel that um, it is ever like a good thing to focus <laughs> on weight loss exclusively. That doesn't mean that if I'm working with someone and, you know, their weight changes, I'm not, I don't get mad if someone loses weight, if their body is kind of feeling safer, maybe they're getting food more regularly or something like that. Sometimes people actually, their weight might go down. I, it just means as, and you might have explained this in another episode, but 
weight inclusive just means inclusive of all weights and all fluctuations in weight as well. Well, actually, this is our first educational series. Oh. Yeah, so um, that hasn't been a topic oh. yet. Um, but each month now, yes, we're going to have an educational topic. And so um, something, too, that I wanted to discuss is that um, with atypical anorexia, so um, I don't like the label of that in itself because atypical anorexia means somebody in a large body that has anorexia, mm-hmm. which um, is technically not atypical because there are more people in a, you know, average or middle of the road to high body weight that has anorexia. But oftentimes what happens if a full assessment is not done, um, which happens oftentimes, you know, at a quick appointment. Mm-hmm. And also somebody with binge eating disorder, um, they may be in a large body, not always, but um, the stigma is terrible because they're told they should lose weight. And so then they start restrictive eating, which then just fuels their eating disorder. And so the stigma attached to somebody's weight is so harmful um, in, you know, like you talked about, but also in these cases of atypical anorexia and binge eating disorder, because the very thing that they're being told to do is what they're already doing is restricting, which fuels a binge and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, it's, it's a very harmful practice to, um, you know, really be focused on the weight no matter what. And so, yeah, well, of course, I'm biased too, right? Because we work with that eating disorder lens. But also, if you think of it too, though, um, that you even look at the weight-centric programs and the success rate, and if you view success as weight loss, which I don't necessarily, but the weight loss um, does not, within five years, um, usually more weight is gained. And so the quote unquote success rate of weight centric programs is very poor yet over the, well, I've been a dietitian for 27 years and uh, the recommendations are still pretty much the same, you know, achieve a healthy weight. And it's, and um, it's just maddening to see that this is like three plus decades of the same recommendations that are harmful and actually not helpful. So yes, very frustrating. And then the same thing with the whole BMI. Um, mm-hmm. I just wish we could get rid of that. Um, but that's probably a whole nother episode and talking right. about um, how BMI is not an indicator of health and it's not even based off of um, good research. So, but anyway, that'll be a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> so much to talk about. <laughs> um, so do you think it's possible for a healthcare professional, whether it be, um, you know, a medical doctor nurse practitioner, PA, dietitian, whatever. Do you think it's possible to work with eating disorders and then also do weight loss or weight management? My personal opinion, based on clients I've had who have kind of accidentally been with a previous provider who, what I like to say is kind of um, dabbling in both, which is both saying, you know, that they talk, you know, let's say a dietitian, for example, saying like, yeah, I'm an intuitive eating. I, I know about intuitive eating and I use that with clients who are referred to me for disordered eating. And then also on their website, it says that they work with weight loss and mm-hmm. weight management. And to me, those things as a provider, it, it's not possible to do both because they're, they are so very different and especially with weight loss focused things or weight management focused things programs 
counseling, coaching, whatever you want to call it. The focus is very much on not listening to your body, not taking care of yourself, completely ignoring your body's innate wisdom, um, which is the exact opposite of intuitive eating, which is very much getting in tune with what your body is trying to tell you, relearning hunger cues and fullness cues. Many, you know, for for a lot of people, those things have been ignored for years or when they've been on diets, they've ignored hunger. Um, And weight loss and weight management are very focused on deprivation, food restriction, using the scale, or you know, size of clothes or even inches as measures of success. Whereas with intuitive eating, like I tell my clients, especially about you know when we're really getting into the nitty gritty of our work together and they start realizing there is not a quick indicator of success with intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. There is there is not a you know like with the scale. You get on the scale, it's it's a very okay, this is the number in my mind. Is that good or is that bad? Or this is the size of jeans that I buy now. Is that good or is that bad? There is not a quick success indicator with intuitive eating other than these more um, subjective things. Like, how do you feel? Like, can you tell when you're hungry and full? Are you able to go to a restaurant and really enjoy it? Are you able to go have drinks with your friends and not obsess over the calories? And so in my opinion, a provider or healthcare professional can't do both eating disorders and weight management. And that is, that is kind of my reasoning, my Mm -hmm. personal reasoning behind it. Well, I recently had a situation, I was just going in for a personal, you know, doctor's appointment, and um, noticed that the provider who is um, known as the eating disorder, um, medical provider, Mm -hmm. that we all send, you know, patients, had a flyer for weight loss and weight management. So, of course, we had a conversation about that because I can't let anything lie, right? Uh, The provider was under the impression that they had to do weight loss um, recommendations and counseling if the patient wanted it. And so then, of course, I had to challenge that thinking a little bit too and ask, you know, do do you do a screening for... um, eating disorders about, you know, the, if they are binging, if they are, um, you know, restricting and the answer was no. And so, um, we had a great conversation. I provided them with lots of resources. (laughs) There's just such, and my point in telling this is that there's just such a need for education and these healthcare professionals aren't getting it. And we know as dietitians, the dietitians don't even get the eating disorder, um, education that they need in schooling other than at Iowa state, of course, because they do get a little bit more because, well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) not to, you know, pat myself on the back. (laughs) Um, So, so anyway, it's just not the norm to get that information. And so then the medical providers for sure don't even hardly get a nutrition course, let alone Mm -hmm. eating disorder information. So um, the system is broken. And so um, we somehow need to um, figure that out. And it just takes more of us. I feel like working in this to be able, be able to do that. But um, so, if someone is wondering if they have an eating disorder or if they know somebody that has an eating disorder or disordered eating, what would you recommend that they do? Do you have like any main resources that you send people to or websites and anything um, that you recommend I can put in our show notes too. So our listeners have easy access. 
So the first thing that I would recommend is like, hands down, they need to get established with a qualified therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that is step one because that the therapy component is especially from a mental health therapist who is specialized and has received the additional training in the world of eating disorders is going to really be able to get, you know, to the root cause of things and then getting a dietitian on board, of course, you know, sometimes, you know, I might be working with someone and then I'm like, okay, in order to continue working together, like you need to also be working with a therapist or sometimes someone, as long as at some point they get a therapist Mm -hmm. firmly established, that is crucial. Um, Of course, getting a registered dietitian on their team, both the therapist and the dietitians for Iowa Um, There's a website called EDCI, which stands for the Eating Disorder Coalition of Iowa. It's a really great source for both providers and dietitians, as well as families of folks struggling with eating disorders or, you know, um, people themselves who are struggling with eating disorders. It's a great place to go and get additional resources, but then also get connected to support um, from therapists and dietitians. I will say it is much more difficult, at least here in Iowa, to find medical professionals who um, have received additional training or have additional knowledge in working with eating disorders because it's just, you know, I think medical providers are very strapped for time and they have to see a lot of patients in one day. And so there's not a lot of I, I personally feel like as a dietitian with my private practice, um, I can build time into my schedule where I get to do continuing education. I can decide like, okay, I'm going to set aside this much time each month, you know, to learn more skills or connect, you know, have mentoring. Um, I have a mentor who I meet with every few months. And so that would be kind of my suggestions would be therapist, registered dietitian, um, Sometimes the dietitian or the therapist will have a recommendation on a medical provider. Um, we do have, like, there's a couple that we know of here, at least centrally Iowa located. Mm-hmm. Um, but those would be kind of my main EDCI website for getting connected to those people. And also on that website is a list. There's a there's a couple of groups that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of those things can be a great starting point. And I will link up EDCI's information. And here, just also since a lot of dietitians listen to this podcast, is that um, through EDCI, and you can get to it on this website, is that there is a group of professionals we meet once a month, Thursday mornings. I can't, is it the third Thursday? I'm thinking at a.m. And it's amazing because there's therapists, nurses, medical providers, dietitians, and we just all talk and learn together and it is um just iowa um it's it's um it's not outside state it's just iowa um so if anyone's interested in that please go to the edci website and get connected that way um to get more education and to tell every healthcare professional you know in iowa to get connected just to get more information and so um you know for anybody that um is struggling themselves 
another, you know, just as long as they're getting connected to somebody, then that person, whether it's the therapist or the RD or whatever, can get, you know, determine if they're medically safe to be seen an outpatient and might have to then, you know, go on to the inpatient um, recommendations. But so um, the main thing then you said is just to make sure you have a therapist, an RD, and then um, hopefully medical provider we can find along the way. Yes, exactly. All righty. So I just have a few more questions Mm -hmm. to wrap up. So what is something you would want all healthcare professionals to know? That um, commenting on someone's weight is really not appropriate, um, regardless. And I guess this applies to not just healthcare professionals, but really every human being, because even, you know, if if someone is, you know, their body is larger and, you know, over the course of a few months, they become smaller, no one really knows other than that person what's been going on for them. It may be that they have a chronic illness. They may be under immense stress. They may, like, there's so many things and weight loss should not be something that we're using as a compliment um, because you just never know. Same thing with weight gain. It's never appropriate, um, in my opinion, to address it as this thing that needs to be fixed because our bodies gain and lose weight for a lot of reasons. And I think, you know, a a great example of this is during the pandemic. Um, I know I have had several clients who I've worked with um, since or during the pandemic who experienced a a change in weight, specifically an increase in weight. And, um, as I explained to them, you know, when our bodies are under extreme stress, which pandemic is extreme stress, especially, you know, the, those first six to 12 months where we didn't know what was going on and when we would resume normal life, which we still haven't completely gotten back to normal <laughs> life, that's an incredible amount of stress. And for a lot of people, one way that our body handles stress is by conserving energy and gaining weight. Mm -hmm. as an evolutionary and biological protective mechanism. And so just just understanding that people's weight changes and fluctuates and it shouldn't always be the main point of conversation is something that I would want all healthcare professionals to know. Yes, I I really like that. And just to kind of add on to that is that we have such a hyper focus on nutrition and exercise as part of health, whereas while that is important, it's it's a very small percentage when you look Mm -hmm. at the whole pie of things, which you which you talked about earlier with, you know, do you have um, enough food? Do you have Mm -hmm. nourishing food? Um, What's your stress level like? Um, Do you have access to health care? All those social determinants of health which aren't talked about very much. And so then individuals think that, oh, I'm in a large body because I don't eat well and I don't exercise enough. And they put that onus, you know, so much mm-hmm. on themselves, which really it's um, largely out of our control, especially yeah. when you get it from social determinants of health and that sort of thing too. So, yeah. yeah. So what is something you want individuals to know who may be struggling with food and their bodies? I would say, first of all, having compassion towards yourself that we live in a world that is obsessed with food and bodies and exercise and appearances. And it it's almost unavoidable, especially with social media, um, 
to not be bombarded with these messages. Even people who have like a very healthy relationship with food in their body, you go on Instagram or TikTok for five minutes and someone's going to be posting something um, about this thing that they ate that's super healthy or they <laughs> lost X amount of weight or they put up a you know filtered photo of themselves from vacation. And um, so first of all, just having compassion, you know, if you do have concerns about or you're struggling with food and, and how you feel in your body, just knowing um, it's the it's the world that we live in. It's There's nothing wrong with you that you are struggling with those things. Um, the other thing I would say is that beating yourself up constantly about those two things also does not help. Um, it actually makes things worse. We could talk about a shame spiral and how, how hard that is on the mental, emotional health um, of ourselves. But um, and another thing I would say is you know, because you live in your body all the time, you, you can't escape it. And because you have to encounter food multiple times a day, it makes food and body image even more challenging than I think some of the other things that people struggle with. Everyone, you know, not to diminish anyone else's struggles. Um, but I do think that food and body image are particularly difficult because we encounter them constantly because yeah. we live in our body and have to eat all the, all the time. So um, <laughs> it's, it's hard. Um, and then one more note about that would be, I, I like to remind people, you know, oftentimes, especially if someone's dieted, they're used to really quick win, quote, wins. Again, how, mm -hmm. how do you determine what a win is? But if you're considering it to be weight loss, if someone has done diets before, initially the first couple of weeks people tend to lose a lot of weight so it's like you get this high off of that um where as when you start trying to address your relationship with food in your body you're not going to get a high it's going to be really hard it's not easy it's not like a diet you can take a grocery list or a, okay I can't eat any of these foods take that list to the grocery store it doesn't intuitive eating and body respect doesn't work that way it's a lot more inner work and so it is harder and to not get discouraged when it gets hard, when you're wor really working on healing. Um, it's, it's okay. It is a struggle. Um, but eventually it's so, 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 so worth it on the other side. Yes. And, you know, we need to have a part two session with you. Can we, so we can talk more mm -hmm. about intuitive eating because even the dietitians misunderstand intuitive eating yes. and think that it's just all about eat when you're hungry stop when you're full but it's just so much more than that with the body respect piece yep. and the you know ditching the diet mentality and there's just so much more I wish you know what I wish they would have named it something different because intuitive eating doesn't yes. describe exactly what it is but that's yes. the, not my thing. So anyway, um, <laughs> so we'll have to have you back for part two. Sounds good. <laughs> so if someone would like to make an appointment with you or um, get some more resources or maybe they have a private practice question, because I know you do some of that too with talking to other professionals, if they make an appointment with you that you can yeah. help them. So how would they get in touch with you? Yes. So the easiest way to get in touch with me is um, email. My email address is just hello at lisanolting.com. That's just L-I-S-A-N-O-L-T-I-N-G.com. Um, send me a message, you know, if you're struggling with food or if you're a, someone, a dietitian who's looking to start your own 
um, private practice. I love talking with um, people wanting to start their own business, obviously, specifically dietitians, um, because it is so much fun. <laughs> um, I could do another episode on being a business owner um, as a dietitian. <laughs> yeah. Because dietitians love a good challenge and are very actually entrepreneurial in nature, but we kind of forget, I think, because we are so science focused when we're working on our degrees to become a dietitian, we kind of lose some of the creativity personally. That's what I feel. And so business is like a giant creative endeavor and it's constant problem solving. And I really feel that dietitians are uniquely suited to be business owners. We just tend to shy away from that. Um, So anyways, clearly I get real excited talking about that too, but um, (laughs) so and then um, in addition to my email and my website, I'm also on Instagram, just my handles at lisanolting.rd. I am on a summer, self-imposed summer break from Instagram. Um, I will be back on August 1st. I had to take some time away because I found um, it was really draining and not, it wasn't being useful. It wasn't just I needed to take some time away. And that's something else that I think is important for dietitians to recognize is to be kind of able to evaluate what's going on for you, what is draining your energy, and can you take a step back from that and reassess, you know, if that's something that you that's important to you and if it needs to play a role in your professional life or not. So yeah, well, that's Great self-care, and which is part of body respect, which is part of intuitive eating. Yes. So it all links together. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and I will put all of that information in the show notes, too, so people can be sure to um, get a hold of you. So thank you so much, Lisa, especially for our very first educational piece. It was great to um, talk with you, and definitely we'll need to have you back at least two more times so we can <laughs> up our conversation. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Allison. Okay, thank you. And Have a that good concludes- one. Yeah, you too. And that concludes our show for today. So remember to take some time each and every day to celebrate you. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check the show notes or eatrightiowa.org if you're interested in learning more about the Iowa Academy. You will find important updates, resources, continuing educational opportunities, many of which are free, job postings, and more. Thank you for listening. The Iowa Academy of Nutrition Dietetics the real nutrition experts.